The New Testament reading for this morning comes from the book of James, beginning in the second chapter at the first verse, and James wrote these things. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out your glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures, love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring the others. The same God who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but go ahead and murder, do you think your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murderer, period. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free, for if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, visit your people and pour out your strength and courage upon us that we may hurry to make you welcome not only in our concern for others, but by serving them generously and faithfully in your name. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. An old man told this story. One day I was sitting here quietly in the sun with my dog. And suddenly, a large white rabbit ran across the field in front of us. Well, my dog jumped up and took off after that big white rabbit, and he chased the rabbit all over the hills with a passion. And soon other dogs joined him, attracted by his barking. 
And what a sight it was as the pack of dogs ran barking across the creeks, up stony embankments, through thickets and thorns. Gradually, however, one by one, the other dogs dropped out of the pursuit, discouraged by the course and frustrated by the chase. Only my dog continued to pursue the rabbit. Why did the other dogs drop out of the chase? Well, that would seem to be the obvious question. And the answer to that question is that they dropped out in large part because they had not seen the rabbit. It seems to me that James writes a note to many of us who may have lost sight of the rabbit. You know, when James goes on to describe different types of faith, it seems as though the easiest kind of faith to define is dead faith. It is a faith that determines that everything is okay. It is a kind of faith that says, I believe in God, but never then stops to think about how that might affect the way that I live. You can notice what's going on here. A Christian is standing right beside another Christian and they are talking and the one doesn't have any clothes and is starving. And the other goes to leave and gives a standard goodbye like, see ya, I wish you well, stay warm and well fed. It's like one of those what is wrong with this picture kind of illustrations. Everybody can see it. Everybody knows that Christians are to care for the well-being of others. Everybody knows deep down that you shouldn't say something that you just really don't mean or that you really have no intention of doing something about. You know, what happens when we so completely ignore the needs of others is that we have taken on the name of Christ, but we have failed to adopt the character of Jesus. I want to be able to say that I'm a Christian, but I don't really want any of the responsibility that comes with that name. And James says, you know, it really just doesn't work that way. If you truly claim to have faith, it changes you all the way through. Dead faith, you see. It's just words on your lips. It's a statement without action to back it up. James goes on to say that that kind of faith just really isn't any faith at all. Don't be content with dead faith. Now, you know, everyone alive daily expresses faith in something. When you woke up this morning and you went into the bathroom and you flipped on the light switch, you had a certain amount of faith that the light would come on. When you get in your car and you turn the key, you generally have faith that it'll start, except for some of the cars that I've had. Every time you walk into a building, you're expressing some faith in the architect and the builder. The measure of our faith is what we do. It's not what we say. It is what we will do. Simply stating that you're a great race car driver or a basketball player or that you're a great fisherman or a Christian, whatever it is that you may be, it doesn't mean anything unless you can demonstrate who you are 
in a way that will convince people who encounter you. In the Christian walk, faith and works go together like Florida and sunshine, like Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, like breathing in and breathing out. Billy Graham said, and I quote, faith is taking the gospel in, works is taking the gospel out. Now you know of all people, and you may not expect this, Bono had some word, thoughts about works at the National Prayer Breakfast in 2006. And this is what he said, and I quote, I think it's profound. Look, whatever thoughts you have about God, who he is or if he exists, most will agree that if there is a God, he has a special place for the poor. In fact, the poor are where God lives. Check Judaism, check Islam, check pretty much anyone. I mean, God may well be with us in our mansions on the hill. I hope so. He may well be with us in all manner of controversial stuff. Maybe, maybe not. But the one thing we can all agree on, all faiths and ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both of their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rabble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. End quote. An old man told a story. Twenty years ago, I drove a cab for a living. It was a cowboy's life, a life for someone who wanted no boss. What I didn't realize is that it was also a ministry. Because I drove the night shift, my cab became a mini confession. Passengers climbed in, sat behind me in total anonymity, and told me about their lives. I encountered people whose lives amazed me, ennobled me, made me laugh and weep, but none touched me more than a woman I picked up late one August night. I was responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town. I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or a, work heading off to an, a worker heading off to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived about 2.30 a.m., the building was dark except for a single light in the ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice and then drive away, but I'd seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. Unless the situation smelled of danger, I always went to the door. This passenger might be someone who needs my assistance, I reasoned to myself. So I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail, elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. And after a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like something out of a 1940s movie. 
By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you please carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase out to the cab and then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly to the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got into the cab, she gave me the address, then asked, could you drive through downtown? Well, it's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said, I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says it won't be long. I reached out over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. So for the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she would ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she said, I'm tired. Let's go now. So we drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home with a driveway that passed under a portico. And two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were kind and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. She was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she said as she reached into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. Well, there are other passengers, I said. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said, thank you. I squeezed her hand, then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove around lost in thought. What if she had gotten an angry driver, one who was impatient to end his shift? On quick review, I don't think I have done anything more important in my life. We are conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but Great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others might consider small ones.
You know, my friends, people may not remember what you did. They may not remember what you said. But they will always remember how you made them feel. The test of our faith, the test of our community, lies in how we treat one another and how we regard those outside of our community as well. My prayer this morning is that our faith and our works would be as one. That is keeping faith. Amen.